Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Oh, I'm so distracted coming out here. What happened? Let's see. I don't know if I can play this. I might just might go over the air. Down the order. Let's see what they happens. AJ Brown and Philly. Just, just go play. Hey, how about this guy playing center that? field? Maybe, huh? This guy was an excellent yeah. baseball player. AJ Brown. Nice swing. I watch his video. Really good swing. Great. There you go. You don't throw the first pitch on target in Philadelphia. All the goodwill from being traded to town goes right out the window. He threw a good pitch. He didn't try to overdo it. Didn't try to throw it 100 miles an hour. Very good. Let's see J.J. Arcega-Whiteside do that. Well, he's, uh, opportunity denied. They're not going to yeah. let him. They're yeah. not going to let him. You got to love those wide receivers who are like, yeah, it's not working out. Let's try you at tight end. Or even better, the quarterback you've heavily invested in, your previous coach in Sean Payton, and then the Saints are Dennis Allen's like, it's an obvious move. Obvious move. Taysom Hill needs to play tight end. Like, wait, what? It's just that easy to play tight end. He's just going to switch. Okay. No, that's not that's not Taysom Hill anymore. That's Mosiat Hill. That's Mosiat Hill. Mosiat Hill's playing tight end. Taysom Hill's your quarterback. Give me a freaking break. Uh, by the way, before we get to the frenzy officially here, what did you think of the AJ Brown trade for both sides? I think this is a perfect trade for both teams. Honestly, uh, there's not a loser in this deal. Uh, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you have struggled for so many years to find a decent wide receiver. And you finally got one last year in the draft with Devontae Smith, but you missed on Jalen Rager. You missed on J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Like you missed a number of times. So why not, if you're the Eagles, go out there and get a top guy, especially when the contract isn't as big as Devontae Adams, isn't as big as Tyreek Hill. But from the Tennessee side, it's priced appropriately because they get to start rebuilding around Traylon Burks and more important than that, when you look at the fact that A.J. Brown has been hurt so consistently that he has only played one full season, trust the training staff in Tennessee. They're the ones who know. And Tennessee was the one willing to lowball him with an offer that he was never going to take and kind of get the process started of A.J. Brown moving on. So I think this is probably something that's going to work out for both sides because maybe A.J. Brown will take care of himself differently. Maybe the Eagles training staff will take care of him differently. Maybe they can keep him healthy in a way that Tennessee couldn't. My only issue with the deal, because I don't mind the Titans saying, hey, a, a wide receiver is not worth $22 million a year. And A.J. Brown claims that they offered him 16 It would max out at 20 and he was outraged by that. Um, I just don't love Traylon Burks as the pick, so. But what do I know? I, you know who knows? I mean, uh, the, you these, know, these guys, do the, these guys do this for a living. Uh, you know, squatty schlub in Las Vegas, grading wide receivers, not exactly the most reliable. Well, and also, let's not think about it as Ryan Tannehill throwing to that receiver. Uh, keep in mind, that could be Malik Willis in that offense before long, and you might look at it very differently. Good tease ahead without even knowing it. We will hit on Tannehill and Malik Willis in about 12 minutes. Don't hold me to it, but sometime in the next uh, 20 minutes or so with our NFL Insider Pro Football Talks, Miles Simmons. College football and the football frenzy. All right, this has been brewing the last couple of days. We got a sitch here with USC and Lincoln Riley have been very active in grabbing people out of the transfer portal. So we had that May 1st deadline. You want to have virtually guaranteed eligibility for this season coming out of the portal 
you got to be in it by May 1st. So apparently one of the ACC's better pass catching options, Jordan Addison with Pitt in and now there are claims that USC tampered. Okay. Interesting here. Um, I've seen some backing of this as if it's official. I saw one person covering it say this is exactly why Pitt leaked its accusations in the first place. Do you think this is a good look for Pittsburgh? Should schools call out other schools for suspected tampering? Hell no, they shouldn't call them out for suspected tampering. Pat Narduzzi looks like a moron in this situation. A straight-up moron. If you're a college football coach or a college basketball coach and you're going to get out there and talk about tampering or someone coming after your recruit, I think the rule should be that you have to open up your history and your books to the NCAA. Show us everything. Let's go back in your past because I guarantee you're not clean. There's not one of you who's clean. There's not a single one of you who can claim to be clean over the course of your careers. None of you. So don't yeah. start whining about it now that it's all above board. Yeah, I, I believe uh, that Pittsburgh has done this on multiple occasions, maybe to a program that I follow with a wide receiver commit and two tight ends over the last five years. Um, but, hey, that's the way the game is played, you know? And I don't love uh, actively recruiting guys off of rosters. I think it's really obnoxious when the season is going on, and I definitely think that happens. And I think there's uh, more than a few – usual suspects in college basketball, but it's happening. I don't know how you control it. Now, what's really interesting here is I saw Stuart Mandel has been covering college basketball, check that, college football for a long time. He said, what's wild to me is the Jordan Addison situation, how quickly rumor is accepted as Twitter fact. Uh, For what it's worth, USC does not have a collective. If people don't know what a collective is, we've now got schools that are, you you got a bunch of different sponsors throwing money into a, a big pot. He says USC does not have a collective, uh, lost at least one recruit to a school that is giving out deals, uh, but it apparently has $3 million to give a receiver for one season. I'm not saying – here's the other side of it. I'm not saying SC is innocent in all of this, and I think collective, you name it what you want, USC's got money and they've got NIL organization. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like they've, they, they had money, I think, and deals ready to go for Caleb Williams, the transfer quarterback, to come in. Um, but to Mandel's point, like unless you've got hard proof, you, you can't just throw out willy-nilly that one school is stealing from another and, and not look at a lot of these situations. Well, I mean, if you're Mandel, who do you, who would you rather have on your side for the long term, Lincoln Riley or Pat Narduzzi? Like, come on, I think it's pretty clear how you're going to. That's, an, that's another point of, uh, of media people backing one coach over another. On. Okay, I get come it. On. All right, right. a quick quick fire question here, Cofield. What is the size of USC's university endowment this year? I have no idea. What is it? The total endowment for the University of Southern California is $5.7 billion. (laughs) So let's not start with the whole they don't have a collective thing. They have $5.7 billion in the bank and the city of Los Angeles. Someone's paying. Yes, and they they had plenty of money to lure away Lincoln Riley from a top seven program, we'll call it. So building on this, Ross Dellinger does a nice job covering college football for SI. 
said uh, boosters are bankrolling teams through, quote, NIL. Bidding wars feature six-figure salaries, private flights, and free cars. In 2022, top collectives will raise $500 million in, quote, NIL salary pools and elite recruits cost $100,000 a year. Um, the last part is there's no way that's accurate. It's more uh, than $100,000 a year. Uh, he followed it up. That was last night in a story that he'd written. He followed it up today by saying college leaders plan a crackdown on NIL collectives. Sources tell SI officials are exploring guidelines that reinforce that boosters are prohibited from recruiting schools, not monitoring donors will be sanctioned for violating existing bylaws. Now, after I read all this, I think there's a lot of people who are like, it's killing college football. It's the end of college football as we know it. All right. It's actually not much different than what the elite of the elite have been doing in dark shadows for the last 50 years. Now, more schools are getting more creative and putting this stuff together this is what we talked about when this stuff came out, is the fear mongers, there's going to be some cases where things need to be reined in. They will put up some rules, some guardrails. It's not the end of it. This was bound to happen because you know what? People want to win. You make money from winning. There's a lot of money involved in college football. They want their share of it. This is not the end of college football, Candy. I, for one, am thrilled that the NCAA is going to take a hard-line stance on this. <laughs> I, for one, think this is about time that the NCAA does exactly this. Mm, nice. Yeah, good job. That's the funny part. Good luck. You good notice, luck. You notice when I read Ross Dellinger's tweet, college leaders plan a crackdown. Officials are exploring guidelines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, oh, the it's NCAA, time, baby. It yeah, is the NCAA time. Part of it, we saw what yeah. happened last week. Mark Emmert, they're like, bro, what, why are we paying you? Mark, this, Mark, Emmert, Mark Emmert put up the deuces on NIL and then put up the deuces for real and got the hell out. The NCAA had decades to do something about this, and it took the state of California passing a law that others started mimicking for the NCAA to go, we, what do you want us to I don't Do whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. Cool. So that they're doing whatever they want. And then Dabo got mad. And Saban got mad. And oh, no, we got to do something. College leaders, college leaders have to fix this. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's all kinds of elite talent all over the league, obviously. And then in that division, uh, some talent has been brought there via draft, via, you know, dealings in the NFL. And it'll be exciting to compete versus the best of the best and with the best of the best team in that in the NFL. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. Rolling on, Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk is up with us from Candy and Cofield. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I'm okay. Can Candy intro me, though? Because Candy does a way better job of it than what you just did. Uh, what, more official, <laughs> more robust, more excitement, not as fast, what? 
yeah, all, all of the above. I mean, it's just yeah. way more enthusiastic. It's not just like, you know, I mean, like, I know that I'm, I'm here every week, Steve. And like, yeah, you yeah. know, I know. So it's we've like, probably, it's like, it's like, probably... I'm not really, it's not like I'm really a guest anymore at some point, but you know, I just, I don't know. I like the way candy does it. Okay. okay. We're going to re, we're going to re-rack it. We're going to re-rack it. Hold on yeah. a second. Okay. All right. Re-rack the whole thing. Here we go. Dup, dup, whoop, 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 go backward. <laughs> All right, if it's Tuesday afternoon, you know it's Pro Football Talks. Miles Simmons coming here to join us on Cofield and Company. Find him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Of course, that's not if you're already watching him on Peacock. Miles, what's good, man? Oh, man, what? It, see? See, Steve, you see how it's done? That's awesome. I'm great, Candy. How are you, man? Fantastic. I'm going to hand you over to Steve now and see if he can keep up with that enthusiasm. Yeah, I don't. I don't worry about the uh, the fluffy intros. We get right to it, baby. We get right to it, right <laughs> into the conversation. Um, should the Giants cut Graham Gano? Uh, just to give Kayvon Thibodeau the the five, just because he doesn't want to give. You're, it. Yeah. <laughs> you're a kicker, bro. He's the number one pick. If he wants a number five, you bump to something else and put on your stupid single barred helmet. Go sit in the back I- of the room. Kayvon Thibodeau is gonna have to pay a lot of money. I listen. I totally agree with you. Uh, honestly, I mean, like, I, kickers have an important role, but they they need to shut up and sit down. Same with punters, man. Ah, oh, the, there's nothing worse to me than a celebrating punter. Like, dude, like you get on the field, and the only reason that you're on the field is because the offense failed to do its job. So go out there and kick the ball and do what you have to do, and then get off the field. I don't want to see you strut just because you happen to place the ball inside the five-yard line. Enough is enough. You hear that, McAfee? You yeah. hear that, McAfee? Right. <laughs> you and your whole breed, Miles is coming for you. He doesn't want any of your crap anymore out there. Johnny Hecker, Johnny Hecker can shove it. Yeah, I know. Johnny Hecker's my guy, too. I really That's why should. I purposely went for the Rams. Yeah, I know. how badly it would hurt you. Yeah, that doesn't really hurt me that much. Johnny knows how I feel about it. <laughs> All right, then, Miles. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this: uh, If you're the Giants, as we just talked about the Giants, you have a 50 year option on Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a new regime coming in, so obviously they want to put their own stamp on things. But it's almost impossible to really judge what you've seen from Daniel Jones. So, so what do you think? Would you have given him another year beyond this year, or do you think that they can just parlay this year into saying, "Well, you know what? He plays well this year. We'll just sign him to another contract." No, I, I'd rather do it this way. And honestly, it's kind of the Bears versus what uh, the Browns have just done and what the Panthers did, right? With the, the, the Bears, with Mitchell Trubisky declined the fifth-year option, they still went to the playoffs, right? I mean, that team was not very good. They were 8-8 eight and eight and made it to the playoffs. And, like, you can say whatever you want about Trubisky. I mean, he's a, a you know borderline starter, right? And so he may or may not even beat out Kenny Pickett um, for the starting job in, in, in Pittsburgh now. But, like, I, you, you see what the Carolina Panthers are doing with Sam Darnold. You see the mess that the Browns have um, with Baker Mayfield. And both of them are guaranteed $18 million this year. And that's part of why the Browns are having a harder time than they might otherwise of getting rid of Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, if they had just declined that option, which, frankly, would have been the wrong decision, though, if they'd done it after you go to the playoffs and you win a playoff game for the first time, basically in my lifetime, I, like that's not something that you would ever do. So you do it because you, you pick up that option because you're like, all right, well, we figure he's going to be our long-term starter, but if something happens, then we'll figure it out. Um, I, I just feel like at this point, the Giants weren't in a position to say like, yeah, we have enough faith 
that Daniel Jones is going to make enough progress that $22 million guaranteed next year is going to be justified. If he plays very, very well, then you can franchise him, right? If you are convinced, oh my gosh, like with Brian Dable, this is a match made in football heaven. It's going to work. It's going to be fantastic. Then you still have the franchise option, and that would get him at about $30 million salary based on the projections at this point. So that is still not even in the upper echelon of quarterback contracts, right? So I think they made the right decision. I mean, I, I wouldn't guarantee Daniel Jones $22 million because if you do, then you're going to have a harder time walking away from him if he goes out there and stinks this year, which he very well might. So the big story in Vegas really hasn't been the draft picks. It's been the fallout from all three 2019 Raiders first rounders not having their fifth year option picked up. What's your take on this? What's the postmortem on this? That said, these guys aren't all dead. They can still remain with the <laughs> franchise. I don't think Furl will. But what's you know what's your view on this? Uh, they went 0 for 3, and none of the guys got the fifth-year option. Well, first of all, the regime is gone. I mean, second of all, I, that was the, 2019 was the year that I was in Oakland covering the Raiders for the RJ. So the, the whole thing that year was, yeah, these three guys are going to be the pillars of this team. They're cornerstones along with Derek Carr and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, the first week you go out there and Jonathan Abram gets hurt and he's out for the rest of the year. And so it's like, man, you know, the heat seeking missile that he was in training camp, you're not really going to see it. It was very clear early on that Cleveland Furrell was not the player that Max Crosby was, even though Max Crosby was raw. Right. I mean, you could see the pass rushing ability. Crosby had double digit sacks in that uh, first year and Cleveland Furrell only had a few. So. It was just very clear at that point that Furl was going to have to do a lot of work in order to not be a bust. And over the last couple of years, it's been very clear that he is a bust, right? And so with the other one, with Josh Jacobs, it's like, well, if John Gruden were still the head coach, or if they had uh, gone with Rich Bisaccia as the head coach and you keep Greg Olson on uh, as the offensive coordinator, then you're more likely to use that option for Josh Jacobs because he's still going to be that bell cow back probably. But at the same time, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, guaranteed contracts with Daniel Jones. Why are you going to guarantee your running back $8 million for one season? That, that doesn't really make any sense in a Josh McDaniels offense. It, it just doesn't. And that's part of why they've got, I think, what, six, seven running backs now on the roster. Like that's a high amount of running backs because they churn through those guys. Different guys have different roles. And so you're not going to invest that much money into the running back position in a Josh McDaniels offense. It's just not going to happen. It shouldn't happen unless it's somebody like Christian McCaffrey. But even then, like, I don't know that that's somebody that you would exactly pay that much money to because look at what's happened since Christian McCaffrey got the big contract. He hasn't really been on the field. So I, it, all three of those guys getting their options declined really makes sense to me. And yeah, I think we can say that the Raiders went 0 for 3 on their draft picks. And unfortunately, like Josh Jacobs is good. Josh Jacobs is not great. Right. And so in order to really get that second contract as a running back with your original team, you need to be great. And I, I just I don't know that he's there. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk is with us. I think one of the winners of the draft were actually the Packers by making sure that with first-round picks, they got defense. And I I liked at least the top two receivers they got. I don't know that either one can walk in and be a 70-catch guy, but I thought the Packers played it well while I saw so many people kind of playing the 
the the stupid, you know, eye emoji, like they didn't take a receiver on the first round again. A Rod or A Raj is going to be pissed. How do you think the Packers did? I think they did fine. I mean, I'm not the biggest draftnik in the world, but I understand what their process is, and that's that's kind of how I evaluate things, right? Like, as somebody who like. St- I don't study college football players because I'm covering the NFL the entire year. And frankly, like that stuff is boring to me. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll really take a look at it once the guys are with their teams and it's like, okay, how do they fit? And so I try to understand what the process was in the way teams make their picks. And then a couple of years down the road, sort of like we were just doing with the Raiders, it's like, all right, well, how did they actually do? So that being said, I also like what they did because I understand what their process was, right? Like they, this is a team that needs to improve in different areas. And we can't just sit here and say like, oh my gosh, if they take a, a top wide receiver in the draft, or if they draft one in the first round, that guy's going to be able to come in there and sort of replicate the success that Devontae Adams had in that offense. Nobody's going to be able to do that. Literally nobody's going to be able to do that. I think he accounted for something like 25 to 28% of the entire passing game was Devontae Adams. Nobody can replicate that. So what they have to do, and I have faith in Matt LaFleur to do this, is spread the ball around. You have to make the offense different. So if you can get a guy to come in and fill a certain role, right, fill a specific part of that offense, it's not going to be the same as you know saying, oh my gosh, we can go to Devontae Adams on third and seven. And yeah, the, the opposition may know it. You know, We may know it. Everybody in the stadium may know it, and they're going to be able to figure it out. You've got to be a little more creative offensively with the scheme. But I think because you don't have a guy that is that primary, like a Devontae Adams, you can be a little more creative like that. And so I like the receivers they brought in too. I, I like the process, and I'm curious to see how it's going to work. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we should all just sit here and say, "Oh my God, they didn't draft a receiver in the first round. They're dumb." Like that's not really the way it works. And so, from that standpoint, yeah, I, I, I get what the Packers did. Pro Football Talks, Miles Simmons joining us here on Cofield and Company. Well, we, we spend plenty of time talking about how sensitive Aaron Rodgers can be to certain things, and and Miles, maybe it's maybe it's more than Aaron Rodgers. Maybe the QBs in the NFL are just touchier, feelier, more sensitive people than we thought that (laughs) leaders of NFL franchises would be because stories this week talking about both Matt Ryan and Ryan Tannehill suggests that they seem to get their feelings hurt pretty quickly as Matt Ryan says, well, if the Falcons hadn't gone after Deshaun Watson, I might still be in Atlanta. And then Ryan Tannehill saying about Malik Willis, sort of the old Joe Flacco line of it's not my job to mentor the young quarterback. What gives here? Are, are, are these guys taking these things all way too hard? Uh, okay, interesting. Because they're, I think they're two pretty different situations, and I, I understand why we're putting them together. Um, because it is. It, it, it's like, what are, are your feelings hurt because the team is trying to do something to improve itself, right? Um, but I also think with Matt Ryan, if the Falcons are going to say, yeah, we're going to pursue this other direction, and if that direction had worked out, then Matt Ryan was going to have to find a new place to play in the first place. I, I'm not going to sit here while you go after this guy who's got, you know, 22 civil cases still hanging above his head, you know, related to sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions. I, I'm not going to sit here after I've been here for 14 years, and you're going to go do that, and I'm not, I'm not going to play here anymore. Like that, I get that. Like that makes totally good sense to me. And it's kind of the same. It'd be different if they were like, yeah, we're going to look at quarterbacks in the draft and we might draft one. And they end up with Desmond Ritter as they did. 
that that's a totally different situation. Um, but I think going after somebody like Deshaun Watson, where it's like, yeah, we are going to get somebody who's going to come in here and be an elite quarterback because we don't think you're one anymore. That I think that's like that. That's kind of a breakup message from the team. If for you know, to Matt Ryan in and and of itself. So I just feel like once the Falcons decided to do that, sort of like much in the same way that once the Browns decided to pursue Deshaun Watson, it was over for Baker Mayfield. It was pretty much over for Matt Ryan with the Falcons once they decided to pursue Deshaun Watson. Now, with uh, Ryan Tannehill, I side with him on this. And I think that... I, I hesitate to be like the words are taken out of context because it's like it's not. And frankly, if I were going to say that, then I'm kind of the person that's taken out of context because I wrote the headline that said Ryan Tannehill. It's not my job to be Malik Willis's mentor, and, and like <laughs> it's true because it, it, he said that, right? So it's not his job though. Right? Ryan Tannehill is 33. Ryan Tannehill is still in the prime of his career, and it's his job to go out there and win football games. And the full quote, which I did have in the post, I guess, you know, to my credit or to my detriment, whichever we want to call it, it, it says what he said, which is, I don't have a problem with Malik Willis. I understand that the team is doing what they feel is best for itself. But at the same time, I mean, I'm still going to go out there and try to win football games. So, you know, we're going to be in the same room. We're going to watch film. We're going to do all this stuff. And, you know, it's not my job to to be a mentor to him but if he learns something that's also good so i agree it's not his job there's an offensive coordinator to train him up there's a quarterback's coach to train him up are we all complaining that aaron Rodgers is not like yeah i'm gonna you know make sure that jordan love is totally ready to play i don't think so i think we all were like oh my god they just drafted a quarterback and aaron Rodgers still seems like he can play really good football so in that same way, I know Ryan Tannehill is not at the same level of an Aaron Rodgers, but like I, I get exactly where he's coming from. And he he doesn't come off as a as a jerk when he says it. Right? If you listen to him, what he's saying in the full part of that press conference, he didn't come off that way. So I, I think Ryan Tannehill's fine. So, Miles, just to follow up on that before we let you go here for a second, what it sounds like you're saying, though, is there's no I in team unless I have my job threatened, right? Because <laughs> when we talk about the team needs to do what's best for the team, well, hell, no one's going to have a bigger impact on what happens with the team than Ryan Tannehill, right? Yeah, but that, he's still got to play. You know, I mean, like, it's it, it's interesting because you can also go to Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. And Patrick Mahomes has been very, very clear that Alex Smith helped him so much in Patrick Mahomes rookie year in that back in 17 where Smith was still playing and you know then they clinch the playoff berth and Patrick Mahomes comes in and plays week 17 against the Denver Broncos and they win and everybody doesn't really understand what they're watching but part of it was Alex Smith helped him I I still say you know and Shaq said this about Kobe right like there's no I in team but there is an ME in that word and that's not exactly what Shaq said but like I just when you're talking about a quarterback who's still in the prime of his career, and we're not talking about a first-round pick, we're talking about a third-round guy who everybody says is going to take some time in order to get acclimated into this league, I, I don't know that it's Ryan Tannehill's responsibility to say everything that he's thinking to him. 
that guy, he, his job is to hold him off for as long as possible. So if the quarterback's coach is going to sit there and give him extra time and all that, that's what it should be. Right? The assistant QB's coach should be doing that. The offensive coordinator should be doing that when he has time. But it doesn't need to be on Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion. Damn! Strong stuff. Miles Simmons. Miles, you got anything cooking with uh, PFT and Peacock rest of the week? Well, our PFTPM show is now on our spring and summer hiatus, so we no longer have that every two at two o'clock uh, Pacific time. But but you can still catch the replays because of PFT Live every single day on Peacock with Mike Florio and Chris Sims, and that's available on demand at any time on Peacock, the same streaming home as The Office. God dang, what a professional, Miles! Thank All you right, so right. much. All <laughs> right, thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. We'll see you, buddy. Sam Peniotovich is up. In 15 minutes, we'll see how he did and how other Sharps did betting the NFL draft. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. You're nobody till some. Yeah, 5.30, I want to get back into that Tannehill story because I'm seeing some reaction. I just read a quote from Kurt Warner, so a bit sanctimonious, but that's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Lots of NFL. Um, further look at what happened today with VGK and the exit conversations. No clarity. It's a bizarre situation, but it's kind of the way the Knights operated much of this season and kind of the last couple of years. So we'll get to that in the 5 o'clock hour. Crazy news locally. I'm trying to think where Candy lives. Candy, are how long you been? I don't want to give away where exactly where you live. How long have you been there now? Uh, I have lived in this general neighborhood for who? God, fifteen years. Okay, so I'm going to give it away. It's uh because I used to live up there early on in, when I came to Vegas around probably 2000. I was at Horizon Ridge, and Green Valley Parkway, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when I was there, it was an apartment complex at the top of the hill, and, like, none of that stuff was there. It was just, it was mountains. It was always friggin' windy. I always remember that. Now, if you go up Green Valley Parkway, you hit Horizon, there's, like, oh, you know, Target. There's all the stuff. It obviously snakes through back to whatever it is, Eastern. Like, there are certain parts of the city, you know, if you're on the edge of the city, and that was the edge of the city, like, I can remember driving up Horizon Ridge, and every once in a while, you'd see a, a coyote, like, running across the road, you know? I um, saw a coyote last night. Are you, really? How close are you to where you are? Because you're further down the hill. No, so I'm a little, I'm near, I'm not far from the Green Valley Ranch, and I was walking my dog on one of those little paths that weaves through the neighborhood, and it was probably about 11 o'clock, so, you know, on the later side. But I saw something flash in front of my eyes, and I was like, that's too big to be a house cat. And I thought, oh, yeah, we're going the other way. Now, you, but now that said, you're really not. I mean, you're you're down the hill a bit, but you're still kind of close to some real, you know, rawness. Flamingo and Jones, man. I mean, we used to do a lot of stuff with Jacksons. This story that comes out yesterday that there's a mountain lion running up and down Jones. You're like, what the? Really? That's a that's a long way from anywhere a mountain lion would feel comfortable. But I'm guessing that. You know, like it happens with a lot of these animals that they start running through the uh, the drainage system and all of a sudden they pop up. And this thing, I mean, that's a big cat. I don't know if people saw it, but 
Mountain Lion, and I guess they thought they had it. Metro thought they had it, and then also you read reports like, yep, he's going south on Jones. Okay. We're going to need new imaging for the Cat Pack. <laughs> for the Cat Pack. Which, by the way, feels like the perfect Steve Cofield segment to have the cat pack. I mean, like, we have different appearances from your cats, and we could fill two weeks without seeing the same cat twice. So the mountain lion feels like your story to be covering. Uh-huh. I will say, my very first year in Vegas, uh, 1989, one of my classmates who lived in like what is now the Green Valley High School area, which was the edge of town at the uh-huh. time, had a mountain lion in his backyard. Like, way back when, way back when, yikes, these mountain lions own the neighborhood. It's just a matter of what part of the neighborhood. I actually, because you're right, we should have rebranded this the Cat Pack today. I was actually thinking, because I get morbid like this, um, Is are those mountain lions, are they taking out other cats? Like, are they going after a house cat? Like, I'm hungry. Sorry, man. Sorry, we're sort of the same breed, but it's time to eat. Sort of the same breed. Yeah, um, I don't know that they really look at it that way. I mean, it looks like it's alive, breathing, and available. Uh, you know, same same dating theory I have is how the mountain cat decides what it's going to eat. Oh, boy. Yeah, I always worry with uh, outdoor cats about, you know, some kind of large bird coming down. Because that's happened, right? Freaking swoop right in the backyard, take away a little dog. Oh, oh no, no. Or, or, so, or, no. or, or, or a coyote's going after him, but I... I guess I was hoping that a cat-on-cat crime doesn't exist. No, my, my mother lives out in one of those neighborhoods out near where you used to live. She had an owl in a tree in her backyard. There was an owl just sitting up there waiting, and she has a little poodle. And it's like, oh, we're not going outside today. Because that thing was just like, it wasn't waiting for a Tootsie Pop, man. It was waiting for a little meal. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, here we go. Sam Penningatovich, our gambling expert, Nesson Fox Sports, is up with us. Sammy, what are you up to? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Do you want the truth or do you want me to lie? Well, I know, uh, I mean, you can, you can give us the truth or lie, whatever. Uh, I know you got a Twitter space is coming up. We do, yeah. We're doing Kentucky Derby, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, so very, very shortly. I just picked my parents up at the airport, my friends. So they are in oh, from boy. Naples, Florida. So they are going to hang out. I set up the booze cart and uh, doing this hit with you and then going to talk some Kentucky Derby. I'm pretty happy with the draw. I've got White Abario, who I believe is in the 17 slot. I bet him three months ago or so at 40 to one to win the Derby. And I was looking at the numbers at circa about an hour ago. He's like 12 to one now. So that's my, that's the horse I'm pulling for Uh white of barrio at 40 to one current market 12. If he wins, there will be a party and you and candy will both be invited. Yeah. All right. Um, I would like to play horse racing and be able to play against certain horses. And this is a very clunky segue, but you, you decided to play against Nicobe Dean in the draft. And my Lord was that direction the right way. Cause what was he? 30 and a half at one point, 32 and a half. When we talked last week, I mean, that thing wasn't even close. He fell to freaking what? 83 or 84. I mean, it, that was a tumble. Yeah. I, I'm glad you asked me about that too. I think, you posed the question, like, what's your favorite bet? 
you know, going into the draft. And I was like, well, a lot of the stuff we've bet has moved. Stingley under 11 and a half. That market moved like four positions. We had Quay Walker under. Uh, we had some under on Jamison Williams. And then the bet I gave you on Tuesday, Nicobe Dean was 30.5 over under. And, you know, the draft, as you've probably talked about and you've talked to your sources, you know, the Tony Millers and the Jay Cornegays and the Chris Andrews, like they just get killed every year in the draft because information moves and people get information before the sports books do. It's like the one sport or the one event, rather, where the books are, are playing pin the tail on the donkey blind and they don't know what to do. And then the info comes in, they don't know how to move it. Like, if a guy has a position of 34 and a half and, you know, somebody finds out he's going first round, you know, that could be 27, 28, 29. But a bookmaker sees a bet under 34 and a half. They don't know how far to move it. It's a really unfair fight for the books. And trust me, I don't give a damn that the books lose money on it because it's nice to, to see the average, the average guy win every once in a while. But, yeah, Nicole Dean over 30.5. He went over 82 and a half, pal. Yeah. That's crazy. Candy, where are you on this? What was us with the books? Are we for taking up for the books a little bit? Are we jerks? Yes, we're absolutely yeah. jerks in this case. Are you kidding me? Come on now. Think about the limits that are on most draft bets and right. how much are we really talking about getting hit for here? Come on now. Sam, you have a lot of buddies in the book industry. What do you say to Candy? Well, I mean, the three of us are jerks no matter what. I mean, that's that's <laughs> not up for debate. But I think, you know, what these books learn is that they just have to lower limits. And they do it. You know, I don't know that they get completely creamed um, because, as Candy said, the limits are pretty low. And I'll give you a funny story. You know, I've got buddies in Illinois and I've got buddies in Nevada that bet. So, you know, you got several outs if you want to get down. And we tried to bet, I want to say we tried to bet $400 on Kayvon Thibodeau to go number two overall at three to one last Saturday. So it's a $400 bet to win 1,200. It's not a lot of money, but this sports book, which will not be named because I know you hate me dragging specific sports books. The sports book said, we're not going to give you 400 at three to one. We will give you $4 and 17 cents. So that's sort of, that's the reality of the situation. Yes, the books lose, and the quotes are sort of hyperbolic. Like, look, right. the South Point and Westgate aren't shutting their doors over the draft. They don't win, but they win in everything else. So I, I don't, don't really feel bad for them. Sam Paniatovich is with us. Uh, you don't feel bad for people who challenge you on Twitter, and I guess you threw out some positive words about the Colts' win total, and then someone responded, and you said, okay, let's bet. I haven't learned my lesson. I need to stop blind betting strangers, you know, like, I, you know, I, people have owed me, man, I don't bet money with followers or Twitter people, but I've bet booze and I've bet, you know, obscure things and 80% of the people just block me and run away. So, but I, you know, it's, it's still the thrill of it, you know, like, here's the thing. The thrill. I, let me, let me give you a story. I handicapped this Colts team for about a week straight and looked at all the pros and all the cons and broke down the schedule I think they're going to be favored in five of six divisional games. I like them a lot this year. I got them to win 11 or 12 games, and I'm very confident about that. And I put out, like, you know, I send out a free pick, a free pick on Colts over nine and a half, and some clown just has the balls to tweet at me in all caps, under. You know, like all of my work, all of my studying, all the handicapping, and somebody just decides to go, I'm going to tweet at Sam, tell him he's wrong, 
and tweet at him in all caps under that. It just it boils my blood. It shouldn't, but it does. Well, you know that the guy with the egg in his avatar and 17 numbers after his name probably hasn't put in the work that you have. So I get it. I understand. And those are generally what we're usually talking about, you know, over under bets, standard juice. We talk about rookie of the year bets. We have an opportunity to make a little bit of profit here. Uh, now that we know where some of these guys are going to end up, there's one I like in particular, but I'm going to I'm going to listen to your wise words first on where you're falling on these two markets. No, I'm deferring back to you. You go first because I'm everybody has their own guy and it's hilarious. I'm in all these group threads. I'm in one thread with six people and all six of us are like warming up to one player and spinning a narrative around that player. And it's hysterical how we're trying to lobby for a player in May for a season that starts in September. Who's your player? Okay, it's more about going... This is actually a pick that's as much about the player as it is about fading the other players who are in the discussion. Go back over the last 20 years of defensive rookie of the year in the National Football League. You will find two cornerbacks and you will find a heavy, heavy disposition to sacks. It's going to be an award that's largely based on sacks. And if you look at the board right now and say, okay, who's in a position to give me those kinds of numbers? I like the value on Karloftis. I like Karloftis sitting there 22 to 1 as a guy who, yes, I get it. The Chiefs do not generally have big number edge rushers. But the value on that compared to a Kayvon Thibodeau sitting there at 5 or 6 to me feels worth it. I, nobody has brought up Karloftis yet, and one of my friends, Eric Eager, for Pro Football Focus, is a big Karloftis fan, but he, he likes Sky Moore a little more um, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He hasn't brought up Karloftis yet, but I'm sure if I brought it up to him, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I love that. Dude, it's going to be an edge rusher. I mean, we know that. And you look at the three options at the top, the books are guessing, too. They don't know. They have no idea who's better between Hutchinson and Thibodeau and Walker. You know, Hutch is about nine to two, five to one. Thibodeau five to one, same price. Walker seven to one, seven fifty. Of those three, I like Thibodeau. But you talk about a grown ass man that will get to the quarterback. That's going to be tough to block and is underrated because of the three guys that went at the top. Karloftis is is a great call. I, I'm going to give you a hat tip on that one. I hadn't even thought about him, but he's in the perfect system. And think about Kansas City, too. This is very important when you look at edge rushers. The Lions are going to be trailing in probably every game this year. So how many times is Aiden Hutchinson going to get to the quarterback in the third and fourth quarter when teams are running the ball? To your point, the Chiefs are going to be favored in, what, 15 of 17 games this year, and they're probably going to be up a lot so they can send the house in the third and fourth quarter. So that's, that's a great angle, man. You might want to bet that before I bet it and move it. I- I well, I'm, uh, your your money will move something. My money sure as hell won't, and I already did bet it. Good. We'll bet more. <laughs> Sam, enjoy the Twitter spaces coming up, and uh, more importantly, time with the family. We appreciate a couple minutes, man. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. See you. There he is, Sam Peniatovich, Nesson, Fox Sports. Uh, I'm going to go chalky for offensive rookie of the year, Candy. Uh, the number I have in front of me is 10-1 to 1 on Kenneth Walker with the Seahawks. I mean, you know Pete Carroll is going to shove the ball into his running back's hands and ride him until he dies. I have a hard time getting off Kenny Pickett because I don't think there's going to be a lot of competition in the rookie quarterback class, and quarterbacks are always going to get the shine. And that Pittsburgh system 
now has some actual receivers in it uh, for him to throw to. I don't. Lo- it's not an enormous value at uh, six to one, but I think it has a pretty good chance. I don't think he gets the job from Trubisky unless they suck ass into like week thirteen. We'll build on that. Five o'clock hours coming up. We'll tell you what was said today. VGK with their exit interviews. Very awkward situation. Is Pete DeBoer staying around or not? He's speaking to the media and doesn't know his future. What?